This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Claret shared the spoils in the race for Europe before heading to London to inflict some capital punishment on a struggle. West Ham on a struggling West Ham side. This is the No Name Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast. I'm Richard Steele sitting in for Natalie this week and joining me to look back at the last two regular matches. Our regular panellists, Robbie Kopak and Tom Whitaker. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello. Evening, Richard. I thought Natalie just had a really sore throat for a second. <laughs> no worries. So we've got a lot uh, to dissect on this podcast. Uh, going to dissect uh, both games that we've played recently. Uh, the Sheffield United draw. Going into more detail on the fantastic victory um, against West Ham United yesterday. And then look forward to... Um, the Liverpool game on Saturday. Um, so first of all, um, Robbie, I'll come to you first. Um, was a draw a fair result? Did you think against Sheffield United? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think we obviously Sheffield United had a, a golden chance in the opening couple of minutes or so, and then it's sort of evened itself out. We got the goal just on the stroke of half time, um, and then I felt. After the McNeil chance, after he squandered it, I felt I felt like we weren't going to see the game out. It felt like a really long second half, and you know that Sheffield United are going to put the ball into the box, and it's just one cross we didn't deal with, and unfortunately we got they got the equaliser. And I think on the balance of play, they probably deserved it. Yeah, it's always disappointing when we do go one nil up. You always think that we're going to see the see the game out, and it could have been another big three points for us. Uh, but I think on the balance of play. And I think at times Sheffield United played some really good football. So I do think a draw was a result um, overall. But Tom, I'll come to you. A couple of key misses, Vidger and particularly McNeil in the second half. Yeah, frustrating them too, the, the McNeil one especially. I think uh, both of them, to me, it looked like the gap, if you're shooting with your left foot there, it looked like the gap was at the near post to me. I wasn't that impressed with Henderson. You know, I hear a lot of stuff about how it's him, him or Pope for the England shit. I don't think I've ever seen Henderson have a good game himself. He's always dropping some clang down. I thought he left too much room at his near post. And they both kind of dragged it across the far corner with the with the left foot when to me. It seemed more obvious to place it. And obviously the Vidra one, that was a shame. But the McNeil one, I think uh I think everyone had a feeling when that went past the post that uh that we might just be uh living to regret that one and so it proved. Yeah, interesting point you said there about Henderson. It's kind of there was a fierce shot that came in, but he looked really uneasy dealing with the ball. And like you said, he dropped to McNeil and, you know, you couldn't have wished for it to fall to anyone better, really. So it was disappointing uh, when you didn't see it go in the back of the net. And yeah, there was an air of um, inevitability that Sheffield United uh, was was going to go and score. Um, just the last point on the Sheffield United game before we move on. Um, I'll stick with you, Tom. There was a lot of appeals for a penalty um, against um, Peters. I think Chris Wilder said after the game that he felt it should have been a penalty. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Um, probably like most people, I haven't got a clue what is and isn't a penalty for handball that anymore. The way it sort of bounced up, um, I think it's one of them where, I don't know if he maybe got a little nip with his foot first, and if he did, then then I don't think you give that under the rules. But then having said that, his arm's out, 
but you know, not away from his body, and it's come. It took quite a while to come to him. I don't think I could have complained that much if he'd give it, but I could understand why it wasn't. I would say there's one in the second half as well uh, where no one's talked about. Where I think it's Egan. Um, he's got this, uh, the centre forward just behind him, and he heads it back to the keeper, but he heads it onto his own arm and then to the keeper. Nobody seemed to mention that one, but I would have said if the Peters one was a penalty, that was as well. So perhaps even themselves out. Yeah, at least the, I do vaguely remember that one. But like you said, nobody seemed to talk about it. Maybe because the Peters one wasn't given, there was no need to have a look at that particular decision. Uh, but yeah, fully agree uh, with everything you've said there, Tom. Um, I don't think it was a penalty. I think it would have been harsh if it was given a penalty. Um, and probably that's the reason they didn't look at Egan's um, was a result that Peters wasn't given. So fair result overall. What I really enjoyed about that game was it was two good, honest, hard-working teams. You know, having having a good battle out there with real no play acting or moaning, which is rare um, in the Premier League now. So I'll come on now to a fantastic win um, in the capital last night against West Ham United. Again, a performance full of spirit, de- determination, and obviously a lot of quality on top of that. Uh, Robbie, I'll come to you. What did what did you make of the per, of the performance overall? I thought we were very similar to the Palace game, to be honest, where we had to really show the ugly side of our game, and it's that seems to come on in leaps and bounds in the last. Like we've always been good at it anyway, but we seem we seem to even have like an even stronger steal about us. Um, I thought we started the game quite well. I thought we kept the ball really well. I thought there was a bit of zip to our play again, um, and then. It, it, we, then we obviously we had to hang on a little bit. We got the goal, and then we had that little scare with um, Antonio hitting the post. But after that, we didn't really give West Ham a sniff. Um, uh, Sebastian Haller had that little chance where it dropped to him in the box, but a massive save by Nick Pope, who again was outstanding. Um, and then after, but like I say, we're just balls into the box, and that's like we love just def- we just love heading the ball away. We love defending, and it just goes to show how good we are. Like when we really have to hang on to something that you're always quite positive that we will see the game out. Yeah, fully fully agree. They're quite similar to the Palace performance. You know, we, we got un, put under pressure a little bit, balls were into our box, but we dealt with it really comfortably. There was a little bit of time in the first half on that right-hand side um, when Cresswell and, An- uh, sorry, on their left-hand side when Cresswell and Antonio were, were linking up quite well. Um, but overall, we you know, we did deal with the threat. Coming back to you, Tom, you know, Robbie mentioned there that Haller uh, uh, missed a good chance, but it was a fantastic save from Nick Pope. Can you summarise his performance last night? Yeah, I think he was back to his best. I mentioned on, maybe I mentioned on the last podcast, he's been a little bit shaky the last couple of games. Maybe fumbling a few crosses. There was a couple against Sheffield United where uh, balls flashed across the box. It was the first time I've ever seen a keeper dummy it. He was like coming for the cross and then just letting it go at the last second. Um, I was a little bit shaky, but it was back to his best against West Ham, coming out and getting everything. I think they played into our hands. It's typical, you know, West Ham uh, think, thinking they're all that, but just booting ball in the box. He come and got everything, plucked it out of the air, and then, like you say, stood up with some fantastic saves when we needed them. The one from uh, from Haller, obviously, it's really good save with his boot. I don't, I don't see how the strike is giving him a chance there, but it's still a really good save. But the one in the first half as well from Suchek, it was a cross came in. Suchek, probably if he puts it in either corner, Pope's got no chance, but he stood up to it really well, Pope, and he just managed to get enough on it to take it take it out to the defender without putting too much on it to put it straight back in Suchek's path. Um, and that, it's difficult skill, that, to control it, to, not only to keep it out of the net, but control where it's going after that. Um, so that's quite an underrated save for me. Um, and I think he's won ahead now outright in the, uh, the race for the Golden Glove. So hopefully uh, another clean sheet at Anfield on Saturday. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't it be fantastic if he won that Golden Glove? I know he's played a few more games uh, than Allison this season, but it just really shows how well he's done this season and and you know how, how well we've defended as a team. Um, I'll come to you, Robbie. Stick, sticking on Nick Pope, he seems to me by far the best goalkeeper in the Premier League at coming collecting crosses. He really uh, takes the pressure off his defenders. How how much of a help is that, especially for the centre halves? I think it's a bigger help in. When you are proper hanging on, so like like I said, the Crystal Palace game, the West Ham games, where you're having to grind out results. When you got a goalkeeper who can come and collect, like 
corners at like corners and like the one in the 90th minute where he prevents it from going out for a corner how he even gets his arms that high obviously he's like yeah. six uh, it's like six and a half foot or something ridiculous and it's like it's just he's been able to take that just like like you said to take the pressure off the defenders and it, it just breezes like just oozes confidence around the team and even as like a supporter you just feel like Nick Pope can get down faster he can reach those like if it's going into like the postage stamp you you have a bit more confidence in him being able to like get those re- like like where he's proper stretching for it. An unbelievable goalkeeper. I think he's probably one of our best goalkeepers we've ever had. Better than Heaton? I think when it comes to like claiming crosses and stuff, I think Tommy we're a little bit guilty of staying on his line at times. But I think like Tom, I think this Nick Pope he just has has like really <laughs> long arms. So I just think like <laughs> that he's not like Jordan Pickford T-Rex with his, T- his yeah. T-Rex arms, is he? But like, <laughs> but yeah, it just like I say, it just oozes confidence. Like ninetieth minute, you can just you just trust him to like come collect across nice and easy, take the pressure off, go down to his knees and clutch the ball down to his chest and see the game out. Like you said, Heaton had you know some of his shot stopping was amazing. You know, we go back to that away game at Old Trafford where he he made a gazillion saves, but. You know, Pope's ability when the balls are coming into the box just to take the pressure off the defenders. And even some of his punches last night were absolutely unbelievable. You know, he's punching 20 yards. Um, Tom, I know I, I, I don't want to come across too biased, but it is a Burnley podcast. Should he be England number one or at least be given a chance to really stake his claim in the run-up to the Euros next summer? Uh, I don't think you can make a case for Pickford, really. Um I think the the only thing you could say about Pickford really was which is that he's good in the World Cup a couple of years ago. He's not he's not been performing at the required standards since for me. So I think in the run up to the Euros, Southgate's got to be looking at Pope and Henderson, one of them to be staking a claim for the number one. I don't think you can just keep playing Pickford. Um, but obviously Pope's got the advantage that he's played a couple of games already. He probably is the established number two. Uh, I said earlier, obviously, I, I can't remember seeing Henderson have a good game. I, I, I remember seeing him drop a clangor against Leeds last season against Liverpool this season. But, uh, you know, a lot of people who watch a lot more Sheffield United than me tell me that he's a very good goalie. So uh, I'm sure it will be quite a close battle between them two, especially with such what a good season Sheffield United have had. Yeah, I think I'd like to see probably in the, in the build-up, maybe give them a couple of games each, see how to get on, see how to perform with the rest of the team. We spoke about Pope's kick kicking in the past, how that's likely to let him down. I don't know what Henderson's kicking like, so maybe that's that'll be an advantage for him. Um, a bit more used to playing it out from the back, maybe. Um, but yeah, for me, it can't be Pickford. And I'd say Pope is just that little bit ahead of Henderson at the minute with the, the experience he's already got with the England team. But yeah, for me, make it between them two. Give them both a couple of warm-up games each and, uh, and let's see who we go into the Euros with. Listen, Gareth, Pickford for number one. Uh, it's no... Nick Pope, sorry, for England number number one uh, next summer. Uh, be fantastic to see a Burnley player uh, starting for England in a, in, a, in a major tournament. So, coming on to the name of our podcast, uh, going a, a little bit further up the pitch to Kevin Long. So, he's waited a long time for his chance. He's been at Burnley for absolutely for, forever. And whenever he comes into the team, uh, you know, he very rarely lets us down. So, Robbie... Clean sheet last night. Clean sheet against Palace. Um, yeah, Kevin Long. What can what can you say about him? Yeah, he's just Mister Reliable, isn't he? I think whenever you sort of lose one of Tarkovsky or Ben, me, I think anyone on the outside of if you're not a Burnley fan will probably think we struggle. But I think Kevin Long, every time he comes in, always puts in a shift, always puts in a performance. Um, and I thought he was terrific again last night. Just, I think there's maybe a few question marks over him if he gets left exposed. He has, he's left one on one against someone, but that very rarely happens in a Burnley team anyway. And I thought his, yeah. his partnership with Tarkovsky last night, it's like they've been playing together all season. I think it's a testimony too to Dyche and, and the training he does with the players and a testimony to the, to the squad players how they can come into the team after not playing so long um, and then just put in performances like that. I thought he struggled a little bit against Antonio, um, as did Bardsley. But, you know, we really tightened it up. And second half, I thought he put in a really commanding performance, especially when Haller come up front. And he started to go a little bit long ball, which which uh, started to suit us, really. But, yeah, you know, he's, for me, he's more than an adequate uh, backup. And he's a really good squad player. Just, But I do think we do need another centre-half going into next season. OK, Tom, that makes me come on to another player who seemingly wasn't really going to play much for us this season. 
And it's been a bit of an unlikely cult hero coming in on coming in on midfield. And I thought he did excellently yesterday. Eric, Eric Peters, Tom. Yeah, fair play to Eric Peters. Uh, obviously, we've, uh, we've spoken in the past about Ben Gibson. He's got the attitude, uh, the attitude problems and that's why he's not playing Premier League football now. But Peters seems to be the exact opposite. Just willing to, to come into the team whenever he's asked to, do whatever job he's asked to. You know, I mean, the guy's got 20-odd caps for, for the Netherlands, but he's not complaining about being stuck on our right wing. Uh, up and down, working hard. He did that great job on uh, uh, on Zaha with, uh, sorry, so that was Brownhill, wasn't it? Uh, so he did a good job on Antonio, like you say, with um, yeah, with Barsley. Um, and technically underrated as well. Like he's not scared to, to to have a shot. He's not scared to pick a pass. The the goals we've seen him score this season uh, in the cup, you know, the one against uh, Peterborough, especially. He's got he's got a decent hit on him. He's got some good technique and he's put a few decent assists in as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I like the fact that he's got the confidence just to try these little things. Um, a lot a lot less timid than perhaps even like Hendrick has been on that right-hand side. What did you make of the little chip pass he did to Vidra in the first half? Yeah, it was lovely, that, wasn't it? That's the kind of thing I mean. Like, it's it's not just being technically good enough to do that. It's having the confidence to do that when you're a left-back playing on the right-hand side. There was that shot that he had. It was just over the bar. Obviously, perhaps could have kept it down, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I like the fact that he's uh, it's not just that he doesn't just see it as a role where he's got to tuck in, track the winger, work hard and give it to the more talented players. He's he's happy to put his hand up and uh, and be counted. So, yeah, I've, I've been really impressed with him. Uh, perhaps that was his calling all along. <laughs> I know. I think that's you were saying there about his technical ability. I think when you see Eric Peters on the wing, you feel he's going to give a wholehearted performance, but he's almost going to play as a second fullback. What's really impressed me is his technical ability. You know, he's willing to come inside, take the ball under pressure, you know, and really lay some, you know, some tidy passes off. And I just I just thought I'd mention that Vidra chipping yesterday. I was almost took back when he did it. And he seems to be growing into the role more and more. And talking about growing into the role more and more and about adapting to the Premier League, someone I've been just massively impressed with is Josh Brownell. I think he's got a little bit of everything to his game. He's been superb, hasn't he, Robbie, since he's come into the team, since uh, the restart? Yeah, it's been an absolute bargain at, what was it, like £8 million, quid, £9 million? Um, especially when you consider we got rid of Naki Wells, who barely gets involved for us, and we got, you know, the Bristol City captain in, in a part of the deal. And, um, yeah, just the way he gets around the pitch, he just seems to cover every blade of grass. Um, and you, you can tell he's sort of been like a captain before. Um, I think when I talk about that, being able to grind the result out, he's got like proper leadership qualities in the middle of the park, and I think him and Westwood really complement each other. Like they'll they'll both like put the bodies on the line, both technically very good, um, and he looks like he got a bit of a shot on him as well. And he's actually not scared to actually run with the ball. I think that's maybe what West Westwood won't do. Westwood will probably look for like an easy pass, as Josh Brownhill's probably a bit more likely to. You know, to roam into like the more forward positions, but you'll also cover that area which is maybe he's, he's lost. Um, but yeah, I've been massively impressed with him uh, and settling three games into the Premier League. You know, after you know his his full Premier, his first start in the Premier League against City, and that was really forgettable. Yeah, and it could have been easy for him to maybe drop, but I think the way he's responded and he he squandered a couple of chances against Watford. Are you thinking? Is he is he going to be is he going to make the step up? Is he going to be value for money? And he's more than stepped up. He was terrific again last night. Yeah, he's he's actually been a real joy to watch for me. He's brung real quality into that midfield, a real energy. Someone who actually wants to get the ball and drive forward with him. Um, he's been an absolute breath of fresh air. And like you were saying, with that Naki Wells, you know, trade deal effectively, it's an absolute bargain. And you know, some of the commentary was questionable last night on BT Sport, but post-match and you know Joe Cole was really complimentary about Brownhill um, you know and I think he's got a really big future with us in the Premier League so really positive signs. Uh, final kind of thing I'll mention about West Ham um, or incidents in the game I'll, I'll come to you Tom. There's been a lot of outcry on Twitter um, especially from the West Ham fans um, and since the sending off of Eddie Nketiah and um, Tarki did a little bit of a Naughty tackle against Jared Bowen. It, it was knee high. Um, he got away with it with a yellow card. Do you think it was a red, Tom? Or do you think that was the correct decision? I find it quite difficult to judge it from the BT pictures. I think you saw it from just to the left of him and to the right of him, but you never saw the kind of the from behind him, so you could really see the the impact. Uh, I think 
there's been a lot of talk about Nketiah's red card for Arsenal. You know, obviously for Arsenal, it's uh, players don't get enough protection until it's one of those wrapping six studs mm. around someone's knee and then all of a yeah. sudden it's, so uh, he's not that kind of player and it was an accident. Um, <clears throat> but it didn't look dissimilar to that challenge for, for me. So if you think Nketiah's was a red, probably Tarkovsky's was a red. The only thing I'd say is how much of a connection did he make? It didn't seem to be as much as Nketiah got on that lad for Leicester. And uh, uh, someone mentioned to me the first game of the season, Che Adams did something similar to Ben Mee. It was studs up, but he didn't catch him too badly. And that was reviewed by VAR and he didn't get the red. So if you compare it to that, then perhaps it was a yellow. But I think the way he's challenged, it is reckless. He's got the studs up. Uh, I don't think you could have complained if he had had a red for that. I think he probably got away with one there. So I think that's the biggest thing with consistency. And I'll just stay with you, Tom. If Enketias was a red card, should have Tarkovsky's been or did different incidents? Yeah, I think the only thing you can say is, is like I say, how much contact did Tarkovsky actually make? I think the same challenge, really. I don't think either of them are malicious necessarily. I think both of them have seen the balls there to be worn and they've gone for it. Um, but obviously they've gone for it in a reckless way with the studs up. Um, yeah, for me, I, I do think if, if Nketi is, is a red, then Tarkovsky's is probably a red as well. Unless, like I say, he's only brushed his foot and not really caught him. But I, I didn't see a big difference in the challenge. So, uh, yeah, I think... Again, it probably speaks to a lot of the inconsistencies and that that we've highlighted with the VAR. I mean, the Arsenal game, obviously, they reviewed it in the studio and the ref went and had a look on the monitor. But a West Ham game last yeah. night, I don't know if they even reviewed it on the VAR. It didn't seem that they did. And then, uh, and obviously, the ref's not, not gone to check it on the monitor or anything like that. The only thing I can think is maybe um, Michael Lally was maybe a bit more decisive with the yellow card. So they didn't feel the need to check it. But... Um, yeah, it's, it's a hard one to get your head around. I don't, I don't see a massive difference between them, really. Yeah, I think with some of these VAR decisions with the red cards and, you know, the Enketi one, the one last night, when they're slowed down so much, it obviously makes them look worse than what they are. I think if, you know, VAR wasn't in play, you wouldn't even look twice, you know, at that instance and you'd just get on with the game. So, and again, it's really interesting, you know, the referees are told to go to the screen. They did with the Arsenal incident, but they didn't with our incident. So I think that's where just fans in general are getting a bit frustrated. It's just the inconsistency. But maybe it did go our, go our way last uh, last night with VAR and possibly with the Peters incident against Sheffield United. But, you know, we'll, we'll definitely take it. And the last thing we needed was James Tarkovsky getting sent off. God knows who, who would have gone centre-half then. Um, so to summarise uh, the two results, Hard-working performance against Sheffield United, draw with fair result, but really fantastic battling performance yesterday to get the win. Nick Pope, absolutely superb between the sticks. And, you know, it's another three points down in London. OK, so moving ahead uh, to Saturday's game and to the rest of the season, four games left. We're in ninth position, um, you know, before tonight's fixtures. And all Tottenham are currently playing as we speak. Robbie, can we get into Europe again? Uh, obviously, I think with if you look at our fixtures, obviously we'll ignore the Liverpool game, but I, th- I, th- I think we have every right to be to feel a little bit confident. Um, it feels strange to be competing for a European place when we're sandwiched between Spurs and Arsenal. Um, obviously, like Sheffield United have been in and around it all season, and you expect Wolves to take a spot as well. But I think with our run of four, maybe. The fact that there's no fans there maybe takes the pressure off us a little bit. Maybe it makes us play with a bit more freedom. Um, and like I say, we got we got we have got favourable fixtures. Um, I think we have got Wolves at home after Liverpool game, so that's going to be a, that's a six pointer right there. And yeah, I think it could, could, could it probably comes down to that one whether we whether we are really capable of finishing the Europa League spot. How many points do you think we need, Robbie? We know it's going to be tough um, against Liverpool on Saturday. Do we need to win? Games against Wolves, Brighton, and Norwich. Or do you think we can afford to drop uh, some more points other than the Liverpool game? I think the Wolves one will be a must-win. Um, obviously, we don't know the situation with Norwich. Norwich will probably rarely get by that point anyway. Uh, Brighton are arguably safe now, so they don't really have much to play for. So I, I think we could, we're more than capable of winning those three games. I think if we win those three games, then we've probably definitely got a spot. But it would be disappointing to maybe beat Wolves and if we fail to maybe beat Norwich away, it'd probably be really disappointing. Yeah, like we were saying, I think City find out the result of their appeal. So 
who knows whether eighth's going to be enough. And if we do come seventh, that could mean we, we go straight into the group stage. I know there's a lot of talk, especially from the media, Tom, about if Burnley get into Europe, how will it affect the Premier League season? For me, though, it's a no-brainer. You know, I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to Turkey or to Athens, and I know you did. So, you know, you you definitely want Burnley to get another crack in Europe, don't don't you, Tom? Yeah, at the end of the day, like, if if you're a football fan, I, I know there's a lot of our fans saying, oh, but last time we had a bad season in the Prem. At the end of the day, it's, trips like that, things like that are what you what you watch it for. You know, it's cup finals, it's it's the trip, the away trips abroad, stuff like that. It's, it doesn't come around very often. And for a club like Burnley, you know, every every time you make it, it might be the last chance you get. I certainly felt like that when, when we got there last time. I thought, I don't know if we'll ever get another chance. And that's why I, I begged Borden still to, to be able to get out there. So, <laughs> yeah, to, to, to be able to, to do it again would be fantastic. And, you know, me personally, I'm not really bothered if it, if it has an impact on our Premier League season, I'd much rather have a run in Europe and finish 15th than not be in Europe and finish 10th. Uh, and for me, that's that's what football's all about. That's what, the point of watching football. So, yeah, I'd absolutely love us to do it again. I think it's going to be tough. Um, I think basically we're in a bit of a mini league now with Arsenal, Sheffield United and Tottenham. And we're going to have to finish above two of them in order to qualify. That's going to be a big ask. Um especially with Liverpool being the next game that Arsenal and Sheffield United have got a chance to, to put a bit of distance between them and us. But if we keep playing like we've been playing and we keep grinding out results like we have been doing, then we've got every chance. And yeah, it would be absolutely fantastic if we could do it. Yeah, I fully agree with you, Tom. Um, you know, you might as well finish 15th, you know, and, and, and have a decent, or hopefully have a good run in Europe. Um, if you've got nothing to strive for and to aim to get into Europe and finish as high as you can, almost what's the what's the point in keeping playing? You know, my my big gripe when we got in Europe was the club was in the healthiest position it ever was for decades, and we never um, invested in the transfer market. So hopefully this season, even if we don't get into Europe, and um, you know it looks like we are going to get a top half finish. Hopefully, and we keep saying it, you know the board will back dice in the transfer window. Uh, this comes on to um, you know the next topic, and I know it's been talked a lot about. I still think we should talk about it. Uh, come to you, Robbie. Um, Dice has sounded a little bit more positive in the media, would you say? Yeah, we talked. I talked briefly about it when we've started just before we started recording. But obviously, the whole a lot of it is based around the, the whole contract situation with Jeff Hendrick. Um, and obviously that was still pretty fresh when we played Man City and Watford, so obviously he was still having a bit of a gripe. But obviously I think since the performances which we've put in, I think it's obviously like made made the situation a lot easier. Obviously the dust has settled as well, and maybe there has been more more positive conversations between the board and Deitch anyway, which obviously we don't know about. Um, so hope hopefully and maybe the whole situation with. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, like Ben Mee and his um his obviously his, his wife or his partner um your birth prematurely obviously that that might have some thinking in terms of like that it's not having a gripe in the media because there's bigger things to worry about um so may, maybe he's just but like I say maybe he's just had more positive conversations between him and the boy maybe it's a bit more clarity of what's going on because it might have just been a miscommunication thing we don't really know. Um, but I'm sure more and more will come out towards the end of the season, and we'll have a bit more, um, bit more clarity on what's actually happening. Yeah, I'll stick with you, Robbie. Does it worry you that I know he does keep his cards tight to his chest, and sometimes he he almost talks in riddles. But does it worry you that he's not actually willing to confirm that he's definitely going to, you know, be Burnley manager at the start of next season, or do you think he has to say that in in case something does happen and then he leaves and? He's made to look like the villain. Uh, I'm not sure. I think, I, it, obviously, from our point of view, it would be nice because there's been so much talk about Dyche leaving. It would have been nice if he just come out and just went and just said, "Look, I am. I'm, my my long term future is is with Burnley." Obviously, he's, obviously, like people are saying, as he taken Burnley as as far as as far as he can. But I think this season has proved that we can keep pushing on. Um, you know, we've seen with Sheffield United and they've been in like in around the top four and stuff like that. So there's no reason why we can't think that Sean Dyche can take us to the even even like another level. Like we don't know, like obviously if he gets given the funds, 
and he might get back properly. He might be able to bring in a, a winger who he wants. He might be, be able to bring in another striker who he wants. And that might, might just help us to go on to the next level. Yeah, fully, fully agree with that. You know, we do need, you know, definitely a few players in the summer. Um, but, you know, the dust seem, does seem to have settled. There's not as much in the media. Um, so, you know, we all hope, don't, don't with that, Dice stays on and, you know, continues his journey with the, with the, with the club. Um, Tom, I'll come to you. And this maybe comes back to maybe the board have got a point about Dice spending money. When you look at the Ben Gibson situation, in the in the light of Ben Me Ben Me looking like he's going to be out for the rest of the season, the question was posed to Dice: Is Ben Me going? Uh, is is Gibson going to come back to play any part in the season? He, he basically said definitely not, and he's going the summer. Um, and there's been a lot of difference in opinion um, on 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 social media on on the situation with Ben Gibson. So I'd just like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, according to Karen Carney, he's out on loan in Middlesbrough, isn't he? So maybe we can't record. <laughs> yeah, no, well, um, that was dreadful. The commentary yeah, last night, weren't it? Oh my basic, god, uh, it was like the West Ham TV. It was commentary. poor, wasn't it? Getting basic stuff like that was no excuse for that, isn't it? Um, yeah, with regards to Gibson, I think I think it seems pretty obvious he's burnt his bridges now. Um, it, it shows you. I mean, we spoke about Kev Long and Eric Peters. You know, they're happy to to to, to buy the time. Um, you know, come, come in and play when they can. You saw people like Tarkovsky when we signed him. He wasn't in the team for eighteen months, hardly. Uh, and look at him now. You know he's a, he's got England caps and he's worth probably thirty, forty million pound. Gibson, obviously, for whatever reason, hasn't had that patience. I don't know if he's was promised maybe more of a chance in the first team. Obviously, at the time we signed him, it looked like me might not be might not be signing a new contract. He's been unfortunate in that Ben me and Tarkovsky are so consistent. They very rarely get injured. They very rarely get suspended. But he'd have the chance now, you know, if he'd have stayed, if he'd have uh, kept his toys in the pram, at least for the rest of the season, that he'd be playing in the Premier League now. He'd be playing it as part of a successful team that's that's knocking on European football. And, you know, perhaps even if he, it, at the end of the season, it was still said to him, you know, Ben Mee's going to be the, he's the captain, he's going to be in the team next season. If you want to play first team football, you're going to have to move elsewhere. He could have moved on better terms. He could have moved with some football, you know, and, um, that having played, you know, a few games in the last couple of years, he'd have the pick of a better move, and we might get a bit more money back for him. But as it is, you know, the way he's acted, is anyone else in the Prem going to touch him? You know, if you look at his record, he's played what one Premier League game in the last two years. You know, he's he's throwing his toys. And we conceded five. Yeah, there you go. He got 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 yeah. got, got took off at half time. I mean, in that game, he looked like he'd won a competition to play in the Premier League. <laughs> obviously, he's. What he's got on his CV in the last six months, football-wise, is that you know Middlesbrough season ticket order basically. So I can't see any other Premier League teams wanting to take a, a punt on him for for the money that um, that would be asking for. You know, hopefully we'll be looking at recouping at least five million quid for him. So he's probably looking at maybe paying up the rest yeah. of his contract and, and becoming a free agent and going back to uh, to to play for Uncle Steve again at Middlesbrough. And uh, it's a shame, but obviously the mentality isn't there isn't quite right compared to what it is with some of our other players. And as you've seen, you know, in the last few weeks, the mentality is what's getting us through. So if he's not prepared to buy into that, it's probably for the best that, that he's not there now and it's probably for the best that we do part ways. Yeah, it's just such a strange situation. We spent a lot of money on him. Um, you know, I think everybody was quite excited at the time. Um, and even when he did play, he didn't look particularly good and, Obviously, he's just spat his dummy out and he's drove uh, up the motorway and gone back to Middlesbrough, uh, watching all the games in his Middlesbrough pyjamas up there. So, um, you know, we, we could have argued, we could have got rid of him in, in January. Maybe the best deal didn't come in for the, you know, for us. And, you know, I, I don't think we'll see him near Turf Moor very soon. And uh, for a number of different reasons, Middlesbrough struggling down in the Championship, which is always quite nice to see. Um so, yeah, moving on from Ben Gibson, looking ahead to the Liverpool game at Anfield. It'll be quite nice to have a Saturday 3 o'clock um, kick-off, which will be the first one in a while because we've had some funky fixtures recently. Robbie, have we got any chance at Anfield of picking anything up? Uh, I, I, to be fair, I'm, I'm the one writing. I've written it off already. I think <laughs> maybe, can t- maybe we can maybe take a little bit of confidence slightly. You know, they got battered against Man City. Their mentality probably wasn't right after winning the title. Um, 
Aston Villa uh, ran them pretty close. Obviously, they obviously had quite a, a lot to play for. Um, and then I, I, I did watch them against Brighton last night, but they didn't absolutely batter Brighton in terms of a scoreline. So maybe we can catch them on a bad day. Who knows? Um, obviously, they've done what they needed to do. Uh, hopefully, they're still like drinking a bit of Prosecco and stuff right now. Yeah. So hopefully, we can uh, take advantage. But to be, to be fair, I'm not really... Expect anything and more solely focused on Wolves. If that's the case, if you're solely focused on Wolves, I know we've not got that many players to rest. Would you maybe think of giving a couple of the younger players a few more minutes or would you just be happy just to stick the same team out there? No, I'd definitely stick the same team out there because I think it'd be a case to try and keep the scoreline down because obviously like goal difference might come into it come into it on like the final day or anything like that. So we have to think about that. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it's going to be a case of trying to make sure if we, we are, to be fair we are probably going to get beat but let's just try and make sure we only get beat by one or two Yeah, like I said I was just looking uh, 46 league matches they've gone unbeaten at Anfield um, Last season we went 1-0 up from that Westwood corner and then kind of I think Eaton made a really bad mistake and, and we give it a bit of a go but ultimately you know we lost the game Really going to be tough. You know, we've seen how much we struggled away at City. Like Robbie said, you know, it might be a case of damage limitation. Um, Tom, obviously, Wood came on yesterday for the last half an hour. He came on at a time where he was really under pressure. And I thought he did very well last night. He caused the defenders real problems, particularly the two centre-halves, stretched them, held the ball up well. Um, it looked like he was, you know, back to match fit after he struggled against Sheffield United. Would you bring him in? For Vidra, are you still happy for you know for Vidra to play because he's been doing well for the team? Yeah, I think Vidra is uh, he's played well as a as a that's kind of front man where we haven't got a lot of the ball, which can have to be working, chasing the defenders, putting the pressure on. Uh, I think because he's a bit nippier and he gets about the pitch a bit easier than Wood, I think he might be a better choice for this game. He did look Wood did look a lot fitter um, last night than he did against Sheffield United. Um, he, he looked well off the pace against Sheffield United, and, and that makes me think that perhaps. Another game coming so soon, he'd struggle to start it. I could see him getting another half an hour off the bench, but yeah, for me, I think I'd be sticking with uh, with Vitra to start for now. Yeah, stick with you, Tom. Any chance of maybe seeing Goodmanson or Brady at the at the, at the weekend too? Uh, you've got no need to. I don't think we've we've been talking about how well uh, Peters has been playing. Um, you probably need someone who's a bit more defensively minded against Liverpool as well, especially with the, the way their fullbacks bomb on. So you you probably want to have Peters on. Um, on uh, Robertson or Alexander Arnold, assuming them two play. Um, so yeah, I can't see uh, I can't see Goodmanson or Brady um, starting. You might think that the one thing I did think is in this game, if if we're out of it with half an hour to go, if it's three or four down by that time, then you might start thinking about making a few more subs, just getting some minutes into some legs, letting some of the young lads have a run out. So potentially, if we are two or three down on the hour mark, then yeah, perhaps get. Brady or Goodmanson on, give them half an hour, put a bit of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a bit of game time into their legs for the uh, for the last bit of the season. But other than that, if it's a tight game, if it's one 0 either way or, or something like that, then I think we'll see what we've seen in the last few games, and it's uh, to keep the eleven on the pitch that's doing well and, and try and uh, get the result over the line. Yeah, fully agree with that. Regards to Goodmanson and Brady, obviously they need more minutes in the legs, and they're only going to come in for Peters, who has been. You know, nothing, nothing, nothing short of brilliant since he's come into the side. So, but more than happy for Peters to keep his place. Personally, after Wood's performance uh, last night, I would start him um, against Liverpool. I think we're not going to have a lot. Well, we're hardly going to have any of the ball. We're going to need more, more, more of an out ball up front. Um, it's going to be difficult. We all know how good Van Dijk is, but I think I'd go with Wood and. Rodriguez on um, Saturday to maybe hold the ball up a little bit more. But if Vidra does start, you know, then, you know, you can't complain because, you know, I think he's done very well uh, since uh, the restart and, and, and before that. So, yeah, I think, you know, to kind of summarise, really, really looking forward to Saturday's game. It's nice to be going to Anfield with a little bit of confidence. I always try and keep positive. We've got a slight chance of getting something there. You know, maybe they won't be at the same in intensity. Um, hopefully, you never know. A couple of the players might be rested. They've rested Firmino and Mane, so maybe it's Salah's turn to have a little bit, a bit of a bit of a rest. But you know, we know it's going to be difficult. 
So hopefully the lads will go there, you know, full of heart, full of spirit, like they've done the last few games and continue that march on to Europe. So now joining us, we've got Ben Foster, um, Wigan's, uh, Wigan Athletic season ticket holder and also coach um, with Wigan Athletic Ladies. With what's going on with the current situation at the moment, we feel it's really important to address it. Um, you know, before Wigan, uh, Bolton, obviously Berry's gone out of uh, existence. You know, Macclesfield are in financial situations. So, you know, particularly in the EFL, you know, there's real uh, problems at the moment with the financial side of it. Um, you know, so Ben, just the first question is, it just completely came out of the blue. You beat Stoke on last Tuesday and then Wednesday morning you're in administration. So I know it's really hard, but can you just sum up how, how the different emotions were going from that high of winning to the lower of, of administration? I mean, first of all, thanks for having us on. It's, um, it, it really is a situation that we need to try and get as many people talking about because it is so, um, it is so baffling, like you say. Tuesday night, beat Stoke 3-0. It was probably our best performance of, or well, one of the best performance of the uh, the long unbeaten run that we've been on. Um, I was in the garden on Wednesday morning painting, painting a shed. My dad came up and said, uh, you'll never guess what, Latics are in administration. And the feeling that you get when you, when you hear that, and obviously, as you say, Bolton and Berry just down the road have been in similar situations. You always think, oh, it's never going to happen to my club, and 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 that just sinking feeling you get, and the thought that you might not have a football club to go back to in next season, it's it's really awful because I'm, I'm sure, as you know, it's it's more than just a football club. It's more than just going to the games. We always say that that it's ninety minutes of inconvenience on a Saturday. Um, yeah, <laughs> because it's it really is more than a football club. Yeah, I just want to echo those thoughts for you know for our listeners on the No Name Ever podcast. You know, I live in Wigan now, I'm born and bred in Wigan. Um, you know, it's it's an it's an amazing town with amazing people, and we've got a proud sporting heritage in this town with the football club and and with the and with the rugby league club too, Wigan Warriors. So it's it's a massive part of people's lives, as you were saying, Ben. It's more than ninety minutes. Uh, you know, I was speaking to my best friends who are all season ticket holders at Wigan. You know, and they're just worried about not having that game on a Saturday, not going to the football, you know, with their mates, with their family, you know, and then the, and the future generations of Wigan fans being able to, you know, being able to go to the games. Um, you know, it truly is shocking and we just really hope that, we, you know, a buyer can come in as soon as possible. Um, I heard today that there's a possibility of Ian Lennigan, the chairman of Wigan Warriors, coming in, uh, you know, possibly with other um, interesting parties and, and having joint ownership of Wigan Athletic and Wigan Warriors. I know there is a little bit of friction between the two clubs, but overall on Twitter, what I've seen, that's been more well-received than not. So what's your thoughts on that? I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of people deleting tweets if that does happen. <laughs> um, it's like you say, that there's been a, a lot of... A lot of friction between uh, between the football and the and the rugby supporters for various different reasons um, over the years. Uh, back in the day, it was said that that um, it was uh, like a plucky little Wigan playing non-league football in the back garden of this giant rugby club. And it, there's been a lot over the years, but it seems to me that the majority of, of issues that have been in the past um, and the people that have caused the issues aren't around at either club anymore. Um, so it really does seem that it could be a, a good move going forwards. You know, uh, a, a United sporting front in Wigan would be, in my opinion, fantastic for, for the whole community and for the for the whole town. So as, as much as I will have to kind of swallow my pride being a Latics fan and potentially um, the owners of the rugby owning the football club, um, not Wigan Warriors owning the football club, it'll be their owners owning us, um, just to make sure that the, uh, the Warriors fans don't start pulling that one over on us. But um, no, if, if it saves the club and if it, if it does unite the town, I think it's it, it can only be a good thing. Yeah, I fully agree with everything you've said there, Ben. I think it's a good thing, and I think what you want after the current or you know the current ownership or the you know the, or the previous ownership, whichever way you look at it, is somebody coming in who you can trust and who's local, who will have the club and the town you know with the best interests. So that brings me on to the you know to the current ownership. Um, again, we were saying it really come out of the blue, so. Can you tell me a little bit how who the owners were 
and then why they put you into administration or why you feel they have put you into administration because there's a lot of rumours flying about. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, you'll have to bear with me. There are a lot of yeah, course, dates, yeah. a lot of figures, but I will try and, and keep it as, as simple as, as possible. So, as you say, this kind of came out the blue um, last Wednesday, but it is something that has been going on for um, for a while. So, I've got a little timeline. So, essentially... Uh, a company called IEC, International Entertainment Corporation, um, who are uh, a business that are owned by uh, a bloke called Stanley Choi, professional poker player over in Hong Kong. Um, they bought Wigan Athletic for around £16 million, pounds, uh, although that figure is debated, uh, in November 2018. They spent a, a, over a year negotiating a deal. Um, so you, you would think that they were serious uh, investors. Uh, they buy the club, they say, because they're diversifying their income streams, which doesn't really make much sense, considering that um, Wigan Athletic have always been a loss-making business and have been for years. Um, regardless, they decide to pump a million pounds into the club each month to cover the running costs, which racks up a debt of about 25 million to IEC uh, by May of this year. Um, in 2019, IEC signified that they, they want to sell the club. Um, they cite failure to get into the Prem, failure of success on and off the field and for some reason they cite Brexit which doesn't really make any sense considering they bought the club after the referendum in fact two years after the referendum um, so I, I, personally I don't buy that one um, regardless IEC sell to a company called Next Leader Fund in June 2020 um, now Next Leader Fund didn't exist in January 2020 um, but it is owned by Stanley Choi who is the majority shareholder of IEC. So Stanley Choi um, sets up Next Leader Fund uh, with with uh, a bloke called uh, YK O Young, uh, and on the 29th of May they uh, buy Wigan Athletic. Now, in order to buy Wigan Athletic, Next Leader Fund takes out a loan of 28 million pounds with extortionate interest rates on this loan from IEC. It's a situation where you've got Stanley Choi buying Wigan Athletic again from himself with money he's loaned to himself from himself. And four weeks later, we're in administration. Now, before we went into administration, on the 24th of June, there was a big reshuffle in the next leader fund board. Um, essentially, Stanley Choi washes his hands of it, and uh, Mr. Young becomes the majority owner. Um, a guy called Man Chung Shetso, who's a former Hong Kong footballer, no executive experience as far as I can see, uh, used to run an amateur football team, um, Tatman Chung, they're brought in, um, in in order to vote for administration. Now, a guy called Thomas Chan intended to vote against administration, but was moved on before the vote. Now, you can make your own um, opinions on why that might have been. So, on the morning of last Wednesday, um, the directors over here, Darren Royal, Joe Royal and Jonathan Jackson, uh, Jonathan Jackson's been at the club for, for a long, long time, and I, I believe he's no longer at the club as of as of last weekend, which is very sad. But anyway, uh, on that Wednesday morning, the vote was sprung with them by email, and 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 unfortunately, we lost, and we're in administration. It's uh, <laughs> it's just, bizarre. Can I just say, Ben? I think the way you've summarised it there has been excellent. You've clearly done a lot of research on it to understand what's gone on, and and then to simplify it really well. I think obviously the key one is is that I've tried to keep up is the IEC sold it to the, the NLF. Can you remind me what that was again, the mm-hmm. NLF? The new- That's a, it's, a, it's a next leader fund which was created in January 2020 in the Cayman Islands, which is owned yeah. by the same guy. Or was, or was owned, I should say. Yeah, and then I seen that. The, the bills were paid when that was took over at the start of June. And then, like you said, last Wednesday in July... The money wasn't being funded and you went into administration. That's correct, isn't it, um, from what I've seen and what you've said? It's essentially, the, the, the guy sold it to himself. Um, there's been a big reshuffle and um, the money that was promised from these uh, quote-unquote new owners, even though you could argue it was the same owners, um, yeah. they just decided to, to take the money away so it's not with the club anymore. And the most mental rumour that I've heard and somebody was caught uh, filming Rick Parry saying it and the EFL have come out saying that was Rick Parry is that this company has had a bet uh, with, a, with a betting company 
um, in the Philippines. Um, we don't know what that bet is, but the bet is for Wigan to get relegated. And it seems that the only, because Wigan started winning again, to put them in administration and to have that 12-point deduction is the only way it seems now that Wigan will get relegated. If that's true, which there seems to be some traction to it, then that could be one of the biggest ever scandals in English and world football. Um, can you elaborate on a bit more of that, Ben, please? I, I can. I mean, personally, um, although it does make uh, a bit of sense in terms of the timeline with just the timing of administration, um, I personally, I'm not convinced because I've not seen any evidence on it. Um, the, the biggest thing for me is that uh, the chairman of the Football League, uh, Rick Parry, was filmed saying that. So that's not come from a, a, a random bloke on Twitter. That's come from the head of the EFL. But the more baffling thing for me is that Rick Parry knew about this. But the first the administrators of Wigan Athletic heard about it was when a fan <laughs> shared the video. So if the EFL have had this knowledge of a potential bet um, being the reason behind administration, why not inform the administrators of of Wigan Athletic, surely that's a duty as a governing body that you need to help the football club in, in any way you can, regardless if it's true or if it's not. And that, and there's, there's, there will be more questions asked of the AFL going forward. I think the reason that this bet rumour has maybe got more traction too is that nobody else, there, there's, there seems no other real logical reason that the owners have just all of a sudden put you into administration when... You've started to climb the league. You've got some really good young players at the club. Anthony Robinson, who is going to go to AC Milan. Joe Geldart, Jensen Weir, some youth team players. So it, this is what's so confusing. It, there seems no logical reason for them to all of a sudden, out of the blue, put you into this administration. No, I agree. I mean, obviously I can't say what the motives are because I, I, I unfortunately was not part of it. But... Um, for, for me, it seems a case of it seems a case of I'd like to believe that the intentions of buying it, of buying the club way back in 2018, were genuine. I think that perhaps it could have been a situation where they underestimated how hard it was to run a football club in England. Yeah. Um, so for me, it seems like they've created this new company. Yeah. They've moved um, the club into this company to not affect the share price of IEC, which is the main company. Um, because the, the share price, not the price, sorry, but yeah. the, the, the shares usually trade about fifty to hundred thousand a day with IEC. That went to thirty-five million on the day that Latics was sold over. Um, so a lot of money was made there. So that's a potential motive. But it just seems to me that they've they've moved it right. into a separate holding account to to cut the losses and, and sell the assets and okay. assets and try and try and recoup some money or or make a little bit of profit. Yeah, that. Definitely, you know, obviously it's completely wrong, but it does seem more of a yeah. a sensible and a, a reputable reason rather than rather than the elaborate scheme of that multi million pound bet yeah, um, in the Philippines. So this comes on, to, yeah, um, this comes on to what I'm going to say next. So there's been a lot of protests. Well, not a lot. I would say fur protests uh, from Wigan fans to the EFL. I've seen Lisa Nandy, who's the MP for Wigan, has wrote a real powerful. Uh, but strong message to the uh, you know to the EFL and to the government to really review and look into the case. So, and obviously the, the EFL have come under a lot of criticism recently. You know, as we mentioned before, to do with situations with Bolton, Berry, Macclesfield. So, you know, what's your view on the EFL and their dealings with it? I mean, before we go on to the EFL, I just want to say that the, the, the difference between what the EFL have done and what the fans have done has been. Staggering. The fans have been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I must say, not just Wigan Athletic fans. You know, we've had fans of of other clubs jump on and and and, and try and champion our cause. And you know, we've raised a hundred and over hundred twenty five thousand pounds in 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 just over three days. Amazing, yeah. People have been auctioning uh, memorabilia that they've had on the walls for years and donating art and and creating things. And you've had one ten year old donate his birthday money, hundred quid of it. Fantastic. It, it is. And the players themselves have been fantastic because obviously, I mean, we lost to Brentford at the weekend, but yeah. personally, I think we would have lost regardless of this. But the fight they've shown and just the attitude towards the club, it, it does show that they they really care. You know, we, as you say, we've had open letters by people like Jay Whittle, 
Um, the fans have turned into into detectives overnight. People like Harry Robinson, the Progress with Unity podcast. It's honestly, it's fantastic. I've not seen that. Yeah, the amount of work that has gone into this, and it's not just accusations, and it's not just like you sometimes see when clubs go in this position where people point the finger and say they must be dodgy. It's genuine, in depth research into previous accusations of. I'll not go too much into them because I don't want to to get anybody in trouble or accuse anybody of anything they've not done. But the sheer amount of work that, have, that, has been, that has been put in by the fans to save this club, save their club, has been fantastic. And as you say, Lisa Nandy and, and Andy Burnham, um, and even Keir Starmer is now jumping on with this. And um, it, honestly, it's 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 really nice that this is starting to get some traction and some momentum because honestly, we need all the help we can get. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think again, really, really well summarised, Ben. I think as clubs, especially northwest clubs, you know, town clubs, you know, the football clubs or the sports clubs are the heartbeat of the town. You know, it gives people something to look forward to at the weekend when they've when they've been working hard all week. Um, you know, we, you know, at the moment, Burnley, Burnley's, Burnley's doing well, but it wasn't so long ago, just over ten years ago, when we were facing administration problems, and then. Going back further than that, when ITV Digital went bust, Burn- Burnley Burnley was in real difficulty. Um, and you know, don't get me wrong, there's no one more than me <laughs> who has a friendly rivalry with Wigan Athletic. You know, I I grew up in high school when Burnley was, was struggling and Wigan was winning. And I remember going to the soccer dome. If there's any Wigan fans watching this, wearing my Burnley top, and I got endless stick. Um, you know, and I still do now, being from Wigan, being a Burnley fan. But you know, we all. We, we all have that rivalry, but nobody wants to see football clubs going out of existence. You know, Bolton, Berry, it's it's an absolute tragedy that these owners are being allowed to come in to run these clubs. For me, the issue I have with the EFL is, you know, they're, they're going on about this, these fit and proper tests, but it's happening time and time again, and the EFL don't seem to be improving it at all. Again, is it the EFL's fault this? I'm not sure, but then to suddenly just deduct Wigan 12 points when this come out of the blue seems really unfair, really unfair to me. Uh, I think that hopefully is something that gets evaluated and, and, and changed. Um, well, that comes on to that point. You know, we've, we've obviously covered the, the EFL. We, we've covered who the current owners now. So, as I mentioned before, you know there was a link with Wigan Warriors possibly uh, coming together to, to help the club. I heard a rumour as well with Marban Kukash for those who don't know, was was the former uh, Salford Red Devils um, chairman who also lives in the Wigan area. So, what's the what's the what's the future? Do you think for Wigan Athletic and can Wigan fans have uh, you know uh, a well established football club to keep supporting in you know for the rest of this season and into next season? I'd like to hope so. Um, I think today. Yeah. It's if you're a Wigan Athletic fan, you're a lot happier than you were yesterday. Yesterday was it looked very very bleak. We've had a lot of redundancies um, seemingly overnight and today. Um, yeah. and that has been heartbreaking because I know a lot of good people at that football club that do a lot for the community. Um, I mean, like you say, with, with these, it was 12 um, potential uh, new owners, then it became 30 and now apparently it's up, up to as high as 50 with, with a lot of NDAs that have gone out so that and a lot of proof of funds and obviously today with the Warriors um, it can only be seen as a good thing to, to try and save the club. But for me, this goes beyond Wigan Athletic. Whatever happens to us, yeah. in my opinion, it's bigger than us now. Because this this isn't just an isolated incident, as you say. We've had Bolton, we've had Berry, we've had Charlton, Macclesfield. Yeah, Charlton. Um, right. Countless others. And, and for me, a lot of the blame lies. Yeah, Charlton as well. A lot of the blame lies with the EFL. I mean, I've, I've got some quotes from the administrators here. Said the club have been well run from a day-to-day basis. The directors know what they're doing. They're experienced. It's just the money that was promised didn't arrive, and that's not their fault. It's a very, very well-run football club with money in the bank, and they say it's the hardest situation they've ever been in. Now, as a governing body, as the EFL, their current proof of funds model is that you have to prove that you've got enough funds to sustain the club for the current season. Um, and the season after. However, you don't have to prove a commitment to spend that on the club. There's no, you don't have to put it into bonds. You don't have to put it into an escrow account or anything. You just have to say, here's the money. I've got the money. 
and you're well within your right to just withdraw that the day after, which is essentially what's happened to us. For me, <laughs> this situation, as baffling as it is, um, it, it it really needs some some sort of high level EFL reform so that so that they actually protect football clubs from a situation like this and a situation like Bolton and Bury. And as you say, with a twelve point deduction, how can you look at a situation like this and blame the football club and blame the fans? If you've got the administrators saying, you know, this is a well run football club, it's just the money was pulled from under the carpet. The carpet was pulled from under them. How could a 12-point deduction possibly help in that situation? And I get it's a deterrent to stop clubs going into administration and rewriting and rewriting all the debts off, but surely you've got to be taking it by a by a club by club basis. Again, there seems no common sense to what they're you know to what they're doing. Um, as as you were saying, uh, there's it's it's not been taken on. A, <laughs> That's an understatement. Well, yeah, but there's no com- well, there is no common sense to this at all. Is is the but. You know, take it on a club by club basis. Wigan's completely different to both no. Charlton. You know, and, and and like I said, this this administration is one that shocked everybody within football. And the EFL's got to be really careful. You know, we've we've got to future proof our game. You know, my my point that I, that I, that I, that I always make. You know, I'm a Burnley fan. You're a Wigan fan. This wouldn't allow be allowed to happen to one of the major clubs. So why, when it happens to a small club like Bury no. or Macclesfield? Is it? It's just washed under the carpet. How can Bury be a football club that's hundred and over hundred years old? And then all of a sudden, the you know the they're not even there anymore. It's it's just completely wrong. The the EFL really need to look at themselves and protect football in this country. You know because you know we're in, we're in the Premier League at the moment and it's great. We enjoy it, but you know if the, you know we we need football league in this country. It's just it's it's really. Worrying for me because you know Wigan could be, and who is it next? Who's the next club that that this is going to happen to? Because because yeah. as you said, it's not a it's not an isolated incident. It's it's like you say, the governing bodies need to protect football in this country, and at present, football is not sustainable in this country. How can you no. have a business, a, not even just a business, a, a whole group of businesses in in the league structure operating at losses of. For our example, we, we usually operate at a loss of between five and ten million a season. How is that sustainable? And that model nothing. has to change, regardless of what has happened to us with the owners. Yeah, and that's nothing compared to modern football. That's that's a you know a drop in the art five to ten million. If you look yeah. at you know you look at I know I don't want to go off topic too much, but Aston Villa got promoted this season. They've gone and spent hundred and twenty million, and out of them players, who's actually any good that they've signed? You know, so the, the money that's been, you know, but the money that's being spent is just ridiculous, and it does feel that it's coming to a head at the moment. And and and, and you know, with what's happening with COVID, Wigan aren't going to be the first team, especially if fans aren't allowed in the ground. You know, for a number number of months, that's going to impact teams massively. So yeah, you know, you know, my main thought on this is it's very sad. For my hometown, for my close friends, and you know my, you know some of some of my family who support Wigan, I really, really hope that for next season the club's got a football club, uh, people's got a football club to support, um, and then you know young, young, young people then in in grassroots, you know, sport in this town are still continuing to you know to play football, and there 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 is in chal- a challenge in Wigan that. Uh, people do go and support Man United and Liverpool, as you know, Ben. But hopefully, more young people in the town need a need a need a football club to go and support. You know, Wigan for the next twenty five, thirty, fifty years. No, as you say, it, it, it is a problem with us um, with us being in such a saturated area in terms of the, just the sheer number of football clubs, and the sheer number of massive football clubs yeah. in the northwest. But with the current model of of league football, it's got to be sustainable for everybody. Yeah. It, how you, you've got um, clubs like Derby and, and and I think Chef Wednesday um, selling stadiums to themselves to, to to inflate the numbers so they can spend more money to get to the Premier League and I do think it is a it is a, a fall down effect in the Premier League if you've got TV deals worth tens of billions of pounds and that's not getting allocated to the football league or or yeah it's, it's a model that's unsustainable and if we do want as you say people to be supporting clubs for the next 30, 50 years. You've got to have football clubs there. 
Because if they go under, the football culture in this country will dramatically change. And a lot of clubs, especially as you say with COVID, it does seem to be to be heading that way. Yeah. All right, Ben. Um, I'd love to wrap this up soon, but is there anything that you would just, any final points that you would like to add um, just about anything to do with this situation? Uh, I mean, I'd just like to say thank you for, for talking about it because, as you say, it is, I think it has been a little disingenuous in the media where people have just kind of said, oh, it's a coronavirus thing. It's, it's the first club to fall to coronavirus when, in all honesty, it's got, in my opinion, nothing to do with coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. Or very very little in any case, but I, I would say obviously I, I know we've got a bit of a, a bit of a, a banterous rivalry at times with Burnley and, and and Blackburn and Bolton, but there's there's a um, a crowdfunding page uh, run by Wigan Athletic and um, Supporters Club, and and obviously we really appreciate if people could could donate, even if it's just a case of 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 sharing things on Twitter, just trying to get the word out. Um, anything on hashtag. WAFC, all the detailed research that people have been doing, um, we'd really appreciate it. And obviously, thank you for for having me on to talk about it. Thanks, Ben. Uh, real, you know, like I said, really appreciate your time. You talked very eloquently, very sensibly, and, and, and made the current difficult situation into into a way that people can easily follow. So, thanks for your time. And from everybody here at the Known and Ever podcast, we really hope we can uh, get out of this situation soon and have a football club to follow next season. No, thank you very much. All, all the best for the rest of the season. Cheers, Ben. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that's all we've got time for on this week's show. My thanks to Tom and Robbie for joining me to analyse the matches. Thanks again uh, to Ben for talking us through the crisis at Wigan. Really difficult times down at the DW Stadium. Thanks to producer Matt for editing and publishing this episode. But our final thanks as ever goes to the goes to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to the podcast. Thank you very much and good night. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable Look, just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.